Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Whoo, take a deep breath this morning. Yeah, let's um, let's breathe in the goodness and the grace of God, uh, the reality of a new day. Let's just exhale everything else, right? I'm Carmen LaVerge, listening to Mornings with Carmen. Um, I want to lead off this morning just straight out with our Growing Your Faith verse of the day from John chapter 16. I don't know where you are in the Word of God today, but um, the discourses of Jesus um, at the end of the Gospel of John, um, well, in the in the lead up to his crucifixion, just a wonderful place to spend some time. I mean, that sounds very counterintuitive, right? That it would be wonderful to spend time with Jesus in um, in these chapters of the Gospel of John, where he is set his face not only to the cross, but he is striding very, very intentionally um, in that direction. So um, what is, you know, what is Jesus talking about um, here in terms of what we would call the passion narrative? Um, Where are we? Um, You know, we've obviously got the Last Supper. We've got the foot washing We've got all kinds of instruction. We've got the time that Jesus spent in the Garden of Gethsemane. Like all of that is unfolding um, as we as we consider today's growing your faith verse of the day. And Jesus says, "Look, I've told you all of this. I've told you all of this. I've told you that you know where I am going. You are going to follow. And how, how we don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? Well, I am the way and the truth and the life." Um, Jesus uh, has told them a lot here in what we would consider just a few chapters, but for what them was hours um, on the last night of Jesus's life on earth um, before his crucifixion. And so in John sixteen thirty three, when Jesus says, I've told you all of this, I've told you all of this, I've told you all of this about the coming of the Holy Spirit, I've told you all of this, um, the all of this matters. And so it's hard for us to understand a verse stripped out of its context. And so I want you to understand that's the context in which Jesus is speaking here. I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and many sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Um, your heart might sing Jesus uh, Overcomer um, here at this point, or Victory in Jesus. The reality is, Jesus is speaking to um, what he knows is the life for those who find their life in him. And so if you find your life in Christ, then here on earth, you will have many troubles and many sorrows. I don't know why it surprises us. 
I, I just, I don't. I don't know why, as Christians, we continue to find ourselves seemingly so surprised that we face trials and difficulties and sorrows. Um, becoming a Christian does not make you immune from all of the grief and sorrows and trials that are true for every human being and every human life. It doesn't insulate you from any of that. In fact, it accelerates it um, in some cases. But take heart, Jesus says. Find your peace in me. I have overcome the world. That is a tremendously comforting statement. It links the wonderful promise of God to the deep concerns that we face in our lives. So I want you to consider your deep concerns today. And and now I want you to consider Christ. And which are greater? Which is greater? So this is about what's in the foreground of your viewfinder today. The foreground, so so this is a um, simple exercise here. <clears throat> so um, now you might not be, yeah, you can probably do this if you're driving, but it might not be super safe. So I don't know. You might consider not doing this if you're driving. But if you're not driving and you're listening right now, um, I want you to take one of your hands, okay? And I want you to put it fairly close to your eyes, like, you know, three or four inches in front of your eyes. Do you see how much of your hand you see and how hard it is to, see what's right behind it. Like, right. I mean, you know, your hand's a fairly opaque thing. All right. So it's blocking your view of what's behind it. Your, your hand is currently in the foreground and everything else is background. Now I want you to move your hand away from your face. All right. So your hand is now further into the background. So you can actually see a whole lot more, but you can also see less of your hand, just in terms of the detail and how much of um, your view it takes up. Jesus needs to be way up close. He needs to be in the foreground because there's a lot of background noise and a lot of stuff going on in the background. And it doesn't mean that we don't care about it and that we don't give the right attention to it, but we don't give it more attention than it is due. Jesus needs to be way up close. We want to see him. We want to, and we want to see everything else in relationship to him. Jesus needs to be in the foreground, everything else in the background. In this, um, you know, final discourse that he, that he has with his disciples, he knows that his people are afraid, this little flock. He wants them to be filled, flooded with his peace himself, that he would trust the words that he has spoken to them over time, that they would believe the things that he has taught, that he has revealed, that he has shown them, that they would know that in this fallen world and in this fallen fallen system of the world, yes, they're going to have tribulation. People are going to be antagonistic and mean toward them. But take courage, Jesus says, be encouraged have my courage, have my spirit. I have overcome the world. I want to encourage you to put Jesus in the foreground today and let everything else recede to the background. Yes, as followers of Jesus here on earth, 
strangers in a strange land. This is not our home. We're going to face trials. And yes, we're going to face sorrows. And you're probably facing trials and sorrows today. But take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. And you can be possessed of his perfect peace. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. Next up, our friend, uh, Dr. Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University is going to join us. We're going to talk about an evangelical community church in Bryan, Ohio, that is facing some trials and tribulations, and we're going to um, invite you into prayer for them. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Hey, our brother Mark Caleb Smith is back. He's the Dean of the School of Arts and Humanities at Cedarville University. Mark, good morning. Good morning, Carmen. How are you doing today? <sighs> I'm I'm great. Um, the the Lord is on his throne and I am at his feet. So, uh, you know, everything else, everything else, secondary, everything else in the background. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. I, I think uh, we all try to have that same attitude every day. So thank you for thank you for putting it direct front and center. Yeah, I just, I mean, you know, I got to remind myself. So 99.99% of what I say is just a direct, I'm just preaching to myself. So there you go. Sermon to myself this morning. Um, okay, um, there, there's a congregation of evangelical Christians at a community church in Bryan, Ohio. Um, their evangelical community church is called Dad's Place. You know, it's, uh, it's not a big thing um, in terms of a big church, but there's a lot of big things going on there. Can you read us in on this, um, on yeah. this story? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Bryan, Ohio is about an hour outside of Toledo. Um, for those that might be interested, that's Northwest Ohio. And so I'm here in Southwest or South Southwest Ohio. Um, Dad's Place, it's an interesting church. It has a, a sort of a subtitle as a, a church that loves like family is the name is sort of how the church casts itself. Chris Avell is the pastor there. And late last year, uh, or early last year, I should say, they started offering temporary shelter uh, for homeless people in their area. Um, they had no interest in providing long-term housing for people. Uh, they viewed it more like an emergency a possibility for people who are in significant need. Um, <clears throat> and as soon as they started doing this, there started to be some complaints from people around, uh, complaints to the city in particular, and the city started to investigate and some zoning concerns were raised. Um, in this particular area, it's a business area primarily, and so there's no living allowed on the first floor of any of the facilities in this area. Um, and given the opportunity they're providing to homeless people, uh, that was taking place here. So the city found 18 possible violations um, and really began to um, look at the church carefully and began to bring the pastor into a criminal uh, set of charges, potentially. And uh, he now is potentially facing up to uh, six months in jail for these, as well as fines. And so uh, he's refused to abide by the city's ordinances and to say, you know, I'm not going to be able to uh, help and house uh, the homeless. And the city is putting him in a pretty difficult spot. Um, when we think about who we are as citizens of, uh, of a time and a place and a nation under authority, um, you know, laws that govern the land and we think of living in this particular time and place and nation as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. 
I think this is um, this this challenge that this individual pastor and this congregation are facing, where they find themselves in terms of their calling as a church to be at odds with, yeah. um, you know, with laws that are on the books in their community. Can you just talk with us about, sure. I mean, because there's a testimony to be had, um, yeah. and sometimes that testimony requires like going to jail. Yeah, this is a this is a really tough situation, I think, um, for the city and for the church. Uh, the church clearly has good biblical justification. You know, they point to Matthew 25 and they say, we're really just trying to take care of the people who are in the most danger right now. And we're taking care of the least of these as Christ ordered us to. And we feel like we have an obligation to do that. They're, we're here. They are in need. And uh, we, as a church, this has been the historic mission and role of the church. At the same time, I can understand a little bit from where the city is coming from here. Uh, they were looking for problems with exits. They're looking for problems of ventilation. They found a gas leak issue that was within the church. And so the city could be reasonably concerned about safety of the people who are involved here. Um, and so I, you're right that this this is one of those hard situations where the church can make a clear argument that they should be justified in doing something. But we do commonly let the government regulate things like health and safety and fire standards within church buildings themselves. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so the conflict here is, is really complicated. You know, I think in an ideal world, we'd want the church to try to be obedient to the government as well as be obedient to the word of God, to try to accomplish both of those things at the same time. Um, that isn't always possible, you know, and this is a, this is a judgment call, I think, as to whether or not the church is really done its best to try to be as compliant with the government as they can be, um, or whether this is proper action of government authority. You know, my gut tells me the government's gone too far here, especially with bringing charges to bear and things like that. But this is a tough case. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, let, let, let's pray for them in the midst of all of this. Father, um, we do thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to um, bear witness to the goodness and um, the grace that you have poured out. We thank you for the opportunity to show mercy. We thank you for this congregation and this pastor in Bryan, Ohio, and for the way that you are seeking to communicate the gospel, not only to the men and women um, who are the least of these in that community, who this church is serving as family, um, but we're also aware, Father, that you know we live in the midst of... Um, of a nation of law, and some of that comes into conflict with what we feel called to do as Christians. And so, Father, help them to walk through this experience with grace, um, with wisdom, um, with with all of um, the integrity that would be a positive representation of Christ in their community and to the world. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, Mark is going to be here for a continuing conversation in just a moment. What does the word evangelical mean to you? What does it mean to you? Um, is it a term of theology and a description of a theology and a practice, or is it a political term? Um, we're going to talk about the word evangelical 
Um, it means some different things to different people, and the meaning of the word evangelical has morphed in just the past few years in ways that might surprise you. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Maybe you've heard that Faith Radio partners with One Child to offer you the opportunity to sponsor a child living in difficult circumstances in a hard place. Well, when you sponsor a child supplying for their needs, you change a life. And when you change the life of one child, you change the world. Your one child learns that God loves them more than they can imagine and that God's got special plans for their life. Your one child gets help with school and is taught skills like leadership and how to even overcome poverty. Your one child gets nutritious food and vital medical care that can be life-saving. You might not be able to change the world, but you can, in fact, change the life of one child. Meet the kids. Find your child at MyFaithRadio.com. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith, the Dean of the School of Arts and Humanities at Cedarville University, all right, Mark. Um, when I use the term evangelical, when I um, have as as I have used it over the course of my life, um, when I served on the board of directors of um, the NAE, the National Association of Evangelicals, like there's a definition to the term evangelical, and it has um, it has theological heft. It has meaning. It, it there's a weightiness to it. It means something. I consider myself an evangelical Christian because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I I am alive today and I have the breath in my lungs to declare the good news of the grace of God in Jesus. Like that's it. That's my whole deal. Um I believe the Bible is the word of God. Um I believe that I am animated by the spirit of the living God. I'm literally a person possessed. Like there's a list of things that evangelical Christians actually do believe. We believe in the Great Commission. We believe that the gospel is um, to be preached to everyone to the point that the whole world would hear the good news of Jesus. That is not what some people mean today when they apply the word evangelical to themselves. Um, can you talk with us about what has happened? Yeah, it's a great it's a great conversation. Um the Pew Research Center uh, has recently come out with data, with polling data that talk that, that really looks at how people use this label evangelical. And Pew, one of those large organizations, has been able to collect data over time so you can see transitions um, and movement within evangelicalism over time. And what they've found is that there is a segment of the evangelical population today um, that would not have claimed evangelicalism before 2016. Um, but what's interesting about this group is that many of them claim the label, but don't display the behaviors necessary, necessarily or the beliefs that we often associate with evangelicalism. And so for many of them, uh, it appears to be a political identifier uh, more than a religious identifier. And when you think of how often, when we look at political news coverage, for example, and when you think of how often the word evangelical is used in a political context and how it's used to describe conservative politics or how it's used to describe conservative organizations or candidates or issues even, you can understand how some people may begin to take it on as a political identity of a kind. Um, it's also true over the last few decades that we've seen uh, what we refer to as the big sort take place in American society. And so 
your ideology, your religion, and often even your race, your region, your education level, these things are aligning in such a way that there's a lot of overlap in them. And so for many white conservative Republicans, they're also evangelicals. And for many then, these labels become less and less distinctive and more and more of a unified whole as an identity. And so I think what we're seeing is sort of a, a transition, perhaps, in the use of the word. And you know, I think it raises all sorts of issues potentially, like you just like you like you just led with. Um, and I think it's I think it's worth a conversation not only amongst ourselves but amongst the broader evangelical community about how do we label ourselves and how do we talk with others about those labels. I'm thinking about um, a book written a handful of years ago now. You know, where this question of you know still evangelical I think was the title, and and it was fairly high profile. Um, evangelicals that you and I would recognize uh, and struggling with the question of whether or not to continue to use the term in application to themselves or the organizations that they serve. Fuller Seminary would be an example here. Right. Yeah. Um, Do we give up the term because others have co-opted it or do we fight for the term? Do we say, no, that is not what that means. Like there is a meaning to the gospel, to the good news. There is genuinely good news and it's our job to share it. Yeah, I think it's. I think that's the heart of the question right now. I mean, I've been doing some research recently um, for some some scholarship that I'm working on, and been looking back at back issues of Christianity Today. And in mm-hmm. 1980, mm-hmm. Christianity Today ran an editorial about evangelicalism and politics. So this is 40 plus years ago, but in their editorial, they talked about evangelicals as a broad category. It included a range of people from Jimmy Carter and Jim Wallace all the way over to uh, Billy Graham and Jerry Falwell. Well, if you notice, that grouping is politically diverse, but religiously similar. Well, the political diversity part has gone away for the most part. Not completely, but it's mostly gone away. And so that's really where the confusion comes into it, I think. I mean, evangelicals are so affiliated with the Republican Party that it complicates this conversation a great deal. I mean, I'm not willing to give up on the label personally. Um, I think it's perfectly descriptive of what I am and and what I believe, and it fits me into a historical tradition of people that isn't just American. This goes back into particularly um, Britain and British religious movements that stem from the 17th, 18th century, which really we would say are evangelical in the way that we think of the term today. And so that's who I am, and I'm really not all that interested in giving it up. But to have that conversation also means to be very, very blunt with people to say, you know, using it just politically is really an an injustice to the term. And it certainly is an injustice to my faith because I'm much more defined by my faith than I am about any kind of political position that I take. Yeah. um, So we have a regular listener. His name's Andrew. Um, He is a fairly new Christian. And so he has a perspective that um, is just always helpful to hear. And he's on the text line right now. And he says, well, previously, um, being that I'm 50-ish, evangelical used to mean to me those people on the television who just mm. wanted you to send them their money. Now, yeah. see, that's ho- that's helpful to me. It's helpful because um, that's not the evangelicalism that I was operating in at the same time that, you know, Tammy Faye Baker was on TV. Jim, right. You know, like, right. right. I, that, that, um, but... Andrew's not wrong, and there is a perception out there um, of evangelicals that is definitely different than the kind of evangelical (laughs) that I am. 
Um, And I think the global conversation is important one to bring to bear as well. Like evangelical Christianity is vibrant around the world and it doesn't look anything like the quote unquote political or politicized um, evangelicalism that exists in the United States. Like they wouldn't even recognize that. Oh, no, that's exactly right. And I think that's we really do a disservice to our brothers and sisters across the world uh, when we narrow the focus of our term uh, to political kinds of issues. And so now I a lot of this, I think, stems from um, discipleship, probably, and stems from um, theological groundedness. I think if we can teach well in our churches and teach well in our schools People will begin, hopefully, to have a better sense of what these things mean more fundamentally than just simply consuming information, uh, you know, from social media or elsewhere to label themselves as. But, you know, you and I both know that's a Herculean effort to think we need to sort of reclaim this label from the ground up. Um, But, you know, Carmen, if I'm honest about it, it kind of feels like we need to reclaim a lot of things from the ground up. So I think this is a long process that's going to have to happen. Yeah, reclaiming the foundation itself, um, right? Let's start with Jesus. Yeah. Um, So here, I'll pitch this in to your, um, what sounds like a very academic uh, pursuit. Could we we, um, bring evangelist, that, you know, that quote unquote religious man who puts Christian on the path to the celestial city, could we put him back in the conversation about what it means to be evangelical? So it's, it's evangelist in Pilgrim's Progress who's like, flee from the wrath to come. And he shows Christian that scroll. He shows like he's, he's sharing the word of God. He's sharing the way to salvation. He shows up to encourage Christian on the path to celestial city. When, when Christian loses his way, evangelist shows up to, you know, to help him get back on the right path. Like this is a, um, this is a person who shows up and walks with, and maybe that would be a redemptive part of the conversation as well. Uh, that's a fantastic place to start. No question about it. Um, and even the very idea of evangelism has been radically changed during our lifetimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, what it looks like. We've gone from tent revivals to televangelism to TikTok as a way to reach people. And so that idea of coming alongside isn't always part of that discussion. It's more of a getting access to them through media now, which I'd argue is, is, you know, not always bad, but it is a, um, a lesser form of personal connection. So good. All right. Well, a lot there for you to, um, to be thinking about. Thank you for sharing your thoughts today on these topics. We really appreciate it. That's Dr. Mark Caleb Smith. He's the Dean of the School of Arts and Humanities at Cedarville University. Next up, we're going to have a conversation with Alfonso Espinosa. Um, you you know him. We've talked with um, Alfonso before. He has a series of books. Um, the first one is Faith That Sees Through the Culture. And so this is a conversation about how you and I as Christians can live more confidently in the midst of the culture um, of which we are a part. Sometimes that's confusing. Sometimes it's confusing to figure out, like, how how am I supposed to live as a Christian in the midst of a culture that's foreign to Christ. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, this is going to be really fun. We're jumping into the new year. 
planning on a series of conversations with Reverend Dr. Alfonso Espinoza. You can just call him Pastor Al. Uh, That'll be the easiest way for us to go about this. He's one of those rare people who is both very, very seriously minded, takes the things of the faith very seriously, but also like genuinely warm and approachable. He loves God. He loves people. He's a real pastor in a real church. He's also a genuine theologian. Um, And I guess everybody that knows him calls him Pastor Al, so that's what we're going to do as well. Al, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, it's so great to be back. Thanks for having me, this California guy way out here. I'm, I'm honored and privileged to be with you. It's good. So all the West Coast people are thinking to themselves, finally, our neighbor. So that's good. No, it's good. We're thrilled, 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 thrilled that you're with us today. So over the course of the past several years, you've actually written what I'll describe as a trilogy. You might not think of it that way, but I'm going to describe it that way. These three books, because they really do all go together. They are on the practice of the Christian faith in our American cultural context. Um, Faith that sees through the culture, faith that engages the culture, and faith that shines in the culture. So um, let's, let's do this. Let's Tell us about all three books as a whole, and then we'll unpack sort of foundationally how we're going to enter into a conversation about faith that engages culture. Absolutely. Um, So Faith That Sees in the Culture, uh, the first book of the trilogy, and you have indeed properly um, dubbed the uh, three books. They're interrelated, interconnected. And the first book, Faith That Sees Through the Culture, is a first step intended to kind of back up and see the need for Christians to have greater confidence in a culture that's kind of going all directions. Um, We are bombarded as Christians with uh, such cultural diversity and pluralism, um, especially in terms of uh, things in the culture, be it music or the entertainment industry or the politics, what have you, that can... um, blur the faith and and make it hard for Christians to know how to live out their faith with confidence. Uh, Seeing that issue or that challenge, Carmen, I was inspired to write this first book. So the first book is intended, again, to help Christians have more confidence in their faith walk in the culture. So the key scripture in the first book is uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. We walk by faith and not by sight. In other words, Christians, take a deep breath. Um, this isn't about our, our becoming, getting into a panic or becoming defensive uh, as Christians towards the world, but rather to see an opportunity to um, understand how God's word equips us so that we can go forth um, with um confidence, again, I guess that word is really a key word in describing the first book, about how faith interacts with people in the culture. And so in accomplishing this goal for the first book, uh, we get into what helps Christians understand their faith walk in the world, uh, namely through introducing uh, a study in the paradoxes of God's holy word, or as I refer to them, dualities, the both ends. Um, The reason I went here is because over the years as a pastor, I've seen many wonderful Christians who love the Lord Jesus Christ, love the Word of God, 
but are frankly confused about the dualities that if not properly kind of broken down and applied, can hinder our ability to live as Christians in the world. So can you just give us an example? What is one duality or seeming paradox from God's Word that, you know, we're tempted to see as, you know, like either or, but we really need to embrace as both and? Jesus Christ is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and he says that in John 18, twice towards Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. So we can kind of struggle with this idea of kingdom. So what exactly is going on in terms of God's authority and rule and power? When we take a closer look, we see that Jesus is king of his church. What some Christian traditions call the kingdom, the kingdom of the right, the right-hand kingdom, which is a kingdom where Christ rules in his church. He rules by his grace. He uh, overthrows the power of the devil. He gives the forgiveness of sins and the new life in the Holy Spirit through his rule in the right-hand kingdom of grace in the church. At the same time, Christians, uh, while belonging to this right-hand kingdom of grace, also belong to what many, some traditions refer to as the left-hand kingdom, which is the kingdom of power or the kingdom of government. Um, we need to be mindful that in Romans chapter 13 and 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 and following, that the Holy Scriptures are teaching very clearly that these are established by God. Even this left-hand kingdom is ruled by Jesus Christ. So here's a duality. Jesus is ruling both in this grace kingdom and in this power kingdom. At the same time, uh, they have dissimilar purposes. And if Christians are not clear about this duality that they belong to at the same time, the kingdom of God can be very confusing in practical application. That's just yeah, one example. Yeah, that's a really good example. I'm so glad you used that one because I often talk about, um, you know, the the calling, the identity that we each have um, as not only citizens of the kingdom of heaven, um, but ambassadors of the king and the kingdom in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. And, Amen. you know, and so trying to help us see our role and our responsibility, literally who we are and what on earth we're on earth to do as citizens of both the kingdom of Christ and a particular small K kingdom of this world, whatever that may be. And I recognize that if you're a Christian living in the United States of America <clears throat> as the temporal kingdom, you're having a very, very different experience than if you are um, a citizen of North Korea and you are also a Christian. And so uh, that person who is in Christ in North Korea, suffering under a left-hand kingdom that is brutal and not gracious in any way, is a person with whom I am going to spend eternity as a brother or sister in Christ. We are both already citizens of the same big K kingdom under the lordship of Christ. And that person Amen. is much more my brother and sister than a person who might live geographically next door to me in the small K kingdom of America, but who is not a Christian. 
And I think that that, that is a, an ongoing um, invisible reality that we need to remind one another of over and over and over again. And you just touched on a, a word, invisible, that represents another chapter in this first book, Carmen, Faith That Sees Through the Culture. Uh, it is the duality of what is seen, the visible, in contradistinction to what is unseen, the invisible. Um, the scriptures are full of God's teaching on how important it is for the Christian to see this, uh, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the unseen forces in the spiritual realm. And if we're not privy to the seen and unseen going on at the same time and having an impact in our lives at the same time, we miss out in a lot of wisdom from God's word. That's yet another duality. That's so good. That's so good. We um we are talking with Pastor Al today, Reverend Dr. Alfonso Espinoza, among other things. He is the pastor of St. Paul, St. Paul's Irvine in Irvine, California. We are talking about a series of books, Faith That Sees Through the Culture, Faith That Engages the Culture, and Faith That Shines in the Culture. Um, and we're gonna have a series of conversations with Pastor Al over time. So this is our first one today. And we will return to this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Whew, I don't know about you, but I'm tired. I mean, it's a brand new year and I'm already tired. I don't just mean tired. I mean like spiritually tired, soul tired. Maybe you're struggling too. Maybe Christmas didn't all work out exactly like you thought. My friend Susie Larson wants to take us on a journey to explore God's goodness, his healing power, to know his peace that passes all understanding, to draw near to him. If you want in on that, all you have to do is text the word good to 877-933-2484. Again, you just text the word good to 877-933-2484. Eight, four. And every single morning, you'll get a text message from Susie Larson to wake up to the goodness of God. Connecting Faith to Life, Faith Radio. Picking up with Pastor Al in our conversation about faith that sees through the culture, which is the first in a trilogy of books he has written about how we as Christians can live confidently in the culture and engage it and actually shine as lights in it. So we're going to unpack all three of these um, books over the course of time. Let's um, let's do this if you're up for it, um, Pastor Al. Um, let's lay a foundation. Uh, you do it uh, through something that you call the Lutheran lens. I think the Lutheran lens works for all Christians who are listening today. So what does it mean um, to, you know, judge what is real or who we are in our time in history? Like, how how can we talk about the lens that you hold up in faith that sees through the culture? Yeah, that lens is uh, very important. By the way, I was I was inspired uh, by all uh, by going in to see my optometrist of all things. Um, he put one of those big coropters uh, in front of me and. I kind of like that name for Raptors, Carmen. It, it sounds like a dinosaur, but it's that it big totally, thing. It totally sounds right like a dinosaur. Where, yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's coordinating your the the visual acuity of both eyes, and and they they test it with with a big contraption of lenses, and then he says, okay, yeah, 
or she, he or she says, how do you see what's up there on the wall? Do you need a two or a three or, or how about a five or a six? And you go back and forth, you go back and forth and you realize that until you get both those lenses lined up, uh, you're not going to enjoy 2020 vision. So it's important to, to view the importance of seeing the lenses in the Bible to give us 2020 spiritual acuity. And there's just a whole bunch of them. Um, I say in the book that probably the granddaddy of them all is the duality of Jesus Christ as true God and true man. Uh, that personal union of the two natures is just crucial to understand the gospel because if he isn't uh, true God, then he doesn't have the authority or the or the power to forgive the sins of the world. And if he isn't true man, he can't represent us and be our substitute. So both are crucial for proper Christology and the gospel. Uh, however, in the book, I, I say that I want to go after some things that are a little more practical in our everyday experience that without having a proper lens and, and these two dualities lining up for, for spiritual acuity, we're just never going to have the confidence the Lord wants us to have as we walk by faith and not by sight. So uh, what we do uh, in the book, we launch with kind of an overview of what is against us and what is for us, so to speak. So the first couple of chapters talk about what's against us. Uh, there is a struggle with what is outside of us and a struggle of what is inside of us. And the summary of that struggle against us is that the devil, the world, and our own sin is trying to get us down every single day that we go out as Christians. But on the other side, uh, in chapters three, four, and five, I bring out the other uh, lens to be aware of, which is crucial in having a proper reality check for our hope and our faith and our love, is that God identifies us baptized into Jesus as being Christian, which means we belong to Jesus, being a disciple, which means we are hearers of the word who are powerfully equipped by God, and finally being a priest, a royal priest, in accord with 1 Peter 2.9. And that means that we go out into the world to be his ambassadors. Uh, priests are Christians who talk to God about their neighbor and talk to their neighbor about God. And in other words, when you have these two lenses uh, in front of you, you see that what is against us in the world, um, the devil and sin, is countered and overcome by our identity as Christians, disciples, and priests. That's kind of the foundation in going forward and launching into the other lenses, uh, biblical lenses. So the rest of the way for the book, in chapters 6 through 11, we tackle six major lenses uh, from that introductory foundation, and we ask the question, what is real uh, in getting into the visible and invisible and then the big one, what am I? Um, the fact that we're simul used to said peccator, simultaneously justified and sinners. We have an old man and a new man. If we don't get that, if we don't understand the, um, the daily struggle and conflict that St. Paul describes in Romans 7 and Galatians 5, we're going to wonder if we're even really Christians and who can be effective in the world. And then we uh, ask that question, to whom am I speaking? And, and while we are avoiding like the plague, any kind of an attitude that looks down on anybody, because we should say with St. Paul that we are the worst of sinners, at the same time, 
uh, in wisdom, we need to know to whom we're speaking to. Does this person know the Lord Jesus Christ or not? And, and how do we identify that? Not to judge them to look down, but to be good, better stewards of our ministry to all people. Then we ask the question, where are we? And that's where we get into the two kingdoms I mentioned before. Then we have the question, when are we? And it's very intriguing, God's word, that we're both in the now of the reality of God's kingdom and the work of the Holy Spirit in his people and the not yet. Uh, we don't see the full manifestation of the glory of God. And yet, both of these time frames are already ours in Christ. And finally, is a question, what do I say? And here we work with a distinction of law and gospel or law and grace to be effective communicators of God's word. Well, that is so good. The reality of the now and the not yet, the reality of living as provisional demonstrations of kingdom principles and the kingdom character um, revealed in Christ, like uh, that one is, I think, that that's the sweet spot of the entire series because the the recognizing the time in which we live um, and the signs of the times in which we live and um, and having good timing in the midst of of conversations that are happening in the culture and in our own families and even internally um, with ourselves just as that's just that one in particular I found just so helpful and so compelling. All right, Al, we're going to have to leave it right here today. But will you come back? Can we continue these conversations as we just unpack this together? I would love to. I would love to. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, absolutely. So Reverend Dr. Alfonso Espinoza, you can find him at com. I would absolutely commend to you his podcast, Light of the World, um, which you can find there at stpaulsirvine.org. Um, and, and in that, he unpacks further some of the things that we talked about today and begins to dig into the next two books in the trilogy. So the three books are Faith That Sees Through the Culture, Faith That Engages the Culture, and Faith That Shines in the Culture. So we'll have um, Pastor Al back to unpack this further. Um, thank you so much for being with us today on Mornings with Carmen. My great pleasure and uh, blessed New Year to you and all your listeners in Christ. Amen. Amen. Blessed New Year in Christ. May it be not only um, the year of the Lord, but the year of the Lord's favor upon you. Amen. Amen. All right. So um, Happy New Year. If you haven't heard me say it yet, um, there you go. I think we have like five days left that we're allowed to say that. And then by February the 1st, we're supposed to be, you know, moving on. So there you go. Um, but Happy New Year to you. Um here's a headline that I just think everybody should be aware of. The state of Alabama is scheduled to carry out an execution um, sometime today um, of, of, of a man who took the life um, of, of a woman in 1988. Um, she was a pastor's wife. The pastor actually paid somebody to kill his wife because he was having an affair. And then, I mean, it's just on and on and on. Um, this guy eventually got caught because in... Um, in the process of taking her life, uh, he stole the VCR. And so it was the VCR that actually connected him back to the murder. I share this because anytime that the state is going to apply capital punishment to an individual, it's worthy of our consideration as Christians because it's important to talk about the value of life. And it's also important to talk about 
um, the the reality that the state has the power of the sword and the authority to use it. Um, and so I lift it up because it is happening. It's an interesting um, ongoing conversation because this particular individual, the state of Alabama, already sought to execute once, and they were unable at that point in time um, to complete the execution because of a failure um, of those attending to be able to to find a vein. And so they are now um, going to be taking this person's life, um, ending this person's life, um, by what's described as a novel approach, and that's by the use of nitrogen gas. So essentially, they're going to put him to sleep. They're going to put a mask on his face, and they're going to put him to sleep. Um, the challenge is that it's a novel approach, and he has asked that instead of this novel approach, they return to a less novel approach and actually just take his life by firing squad. And I say all of that because, like, that's a lot of talking about how to end a life. And so today, let me encourage you to consider the gift of life, the beauty of it, and use it to its fullness to the glory of God. We got another hour together next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.